For the rest of us, we are in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, and we are in quite literally the central passage main theme of the entire book of Colossians. These two verses that we're going to read and beyond, 6 and 7, this is what Colossians is all about. You don't always get a, a clear thing like this, but here it is. Verse 6 and 7, this is, this is the message of Colossians. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and received is not receive him into your heart by saying, receive is more receive the teaching, receive the tradition. So as you received Jesus Christ the Lord by teaching, so walk in him, rooted, built up, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, hence the received, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, verse 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the truth of the gospel. Thanks be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I might be yelling at you today more than usual. This is, this is just an awesome passage. Uh, we, we recently celebrated July 4th, the, the anniversary of our country's independence 246 years ago. And when we do celebrate, we, we sometimes imagine 1776 as the year that, that the dawn of this glorious new era, right? Where everything changed after that moment. But that wasn't actually the case. In fact, the war itself wasn't over for seven more years, at least not officially. And even, even when it was over, and more for our purposes as we look at this passage in Colossians, even when the first Americans did gain their freedom, there was still confusion. There was instability of power as Congress tried to function, tried to enact laws and do what they were called to do, but there wasn't enough collecting of money from the states to do what it needed to do. There's confusion. Who has power? There was change as we moved from a society of, of agriculture based on farmers to more banks and corporations. As we grew in population, people would spread out, right? But there were competing claims as to who actually owned the land. All this created confusion, uncertainty, anxiety, and in many cases, even a desire to go back to being ruled by England. 
They had received the gift of freedom, but they were hearing several voices telling them how to exercise that freedom. And all those voices can create confusion. But for the Colossians and for you, TCPC, the solution to our confusion is Christ. And the way Paul highlights his confidence in Christ over confusion is right here in verse 6, the main passage of all of Colossians. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. There it is. Everything from now on is simply a commentary on how to do that. How do you walk in Christ? We're going to look at that this morning. Paul spends the rest of the book telling us how Christ is over confusion and over several other categories of life. And so this morning we're going to see three ways that Paul highlights how we are enabled to walk in Christ as we have received him. And so we walk in his fullness, we walk in his baptism, and we walk in his victory. So first, walking in his fullness. If verse 6 is the main command of Colossians, verse 7 is the main gospel or the main enablement of Colossians. How do I walk in him? Rooted, built up, established in the faith. As you can already tell, probably, these two verses are their own sermon in and of themselves. But we're actually going to use verse 7 all throughout the rest of these passages. We're going to take those three main words, rooted, built up, and established, and we're going to sprinkle them all throughout. So, um, Paul meant for us to take them all together, but for our purposes, for clarity, I'm going to split them up. So here we go. How do we walk in his fullness? We are rooted in him. Um, rooted is a word in the past tense. It already happened. It's done. You are rooted in Christ if you're a child of God. Like a tree, you have been planted in the soil of Christ. And just as roots gather nourishment for the tree, your nourishment, your food, comes from Christ. Trying to get your nourishment from other places, your satisfaction from other people, is like planting a tree in cement. It's not going to work. That's why Paul says in verse 8, See to it. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Cement has no nutrition, and so it is empty. I hope it's obvious to you that, that Paul is not railing against philosophy here. Uh, if you look at the language, it's actually the philosophy. Paul has a very specific philosophy in mind one which calls the Colossians to listen to and obey the elemental spirits. So follow me here. Uh, we're going to look at that phrase more next week. But for our purposes, here's the quick rundown. The elemental spirits were at least in part referring to the local gods, the local deities. The Colossians had one deity. Thessalonica had another. There was a god of water, of fire, of sky, of fertility, of power, all sorts of other gods. And Paul is telling them, do not let them take you captive. See to it that you are not deceived or confused by this emptiness. Because the main problem, even if, even if you have no idea what I'm talking about so far, 
focus on this phrase. This is something we can all agree on and focus on, right? The main problem for Paul was the end of verse 8, this last phrase. These, these philosophies and empty deceits were not according to Christ. That's the main thing. So even if you're wondering, what does that have to do with me? That's what it has to do with you. What philosophies, what ideas, what worldviews are competing in your mind for satisfaction? What other things in your life do you believe bring you ultimate satisfaction? What are you working towards to make you happy that is not Christ? Whatever it is, the promise of Scripture is that it is empty. And so how do you avoid this? How do you see to it that no one takes you captive by something that is empty? Verses 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. Whatever you're looking for, happiness, purpose, answers to your questions, love, belonging, acceptance, it is found in Christ. Because Jesus is not just the fullness. Did you catch the redundancy? He is the whole fullness. And you, child of God, have been filled in his fullness. Food obviously comes to mind as we're talking about fullness and satisfaction, right? I'm, I'm personally, this is just me, I'm not tempted by, by cake or brownies as much as I am cookies. I'm, I'm, I'm a cookie monster. Um, if, if I haven't eaten dinner and I've been left home uh, without any adult supervision, I will destroy a box of Oreos like it, and have zero regrets, at least in the moment. At least in the moment. Soon after, I don't feel so well. Soon after, my body isn't feeling super strong and active. My mind isn't as clear as it could be. Because even though I've consumed many calories, those calories were empty. Now, when I've taken the time and put forth the effort to prepare some protein, some things that are actually good for me, yeah, it takes more work. It takes more time to prepare it. But I'm satisfied. I'm full. And after eating that meal, I'm not as tempted to eat as many Oreos. Jesus Christ is the whole fullness, and you have been filled in him. The world, the devil, and even your own heart will tempt you, will confuse you with philosophies that seem alluring, with lies, with lies like the fact that your body needs to look a certain way, whether it's body shape, body fat percentage, muscles, height, skin, you're hearing lies that your marriage and your friendship need to look the way that others do on social media. You are hearing lies that what you need is more organization, more diligence, more adventure. Then you will be satisfied. Then you'll be fully happy. To the confusion that those lies bring, Jesus himself offers you clarifying truth in this passage and in others like John 15, where he writes, Abide in me, church. And I in you, you are like a branch and you cannot bear fruit by yourself. 
unless you are connected to the vine, to the tree. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot walk in Christ unless you abide in him, unless you are rooted to him and receive everything you need from him. But if you do, this is what happens. Verse 11 of John 15. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full. That's the promise of the gospel. That's how you can walk in him. You want to be more organized? Go for it. It'll help. You want to rest more, work out more, read more, improve yourself more? By all means. But don't expect those things to fill you up. Don't expect those things to bring you satisfaction, to bring you life. Child of God, Jesus the vine has already rooted you, the branches, in him. And you are being filled in him. Receive that, rest in that, and abound in thanksgiving for the good news that we walk in his fullness. Amen? Now, rooted is past tense, but our next phrase is, built up is present. You are currently being built up. How? Verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, also you were circumcised. Why does that matter? Why does Paul switch it up and talk about circumcision now? Well, there was a certain Jewish faction among the Colossians telling them they needed to be circumcised. Yeah, you have Jesus, but you need more. And Paul, Paul doesn't say, no, you don't even though he said that elsewhere. There are other letters where he said, you don't need circumcision. But here, he takes a different tactic. He says, you already were. In him, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. How do you do that? By being truly circumcised. Here's what he says at the end of the verse. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision that is of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is the new circumcision, says Paul, that Christ brings with him. Circumcision in the Old Testament was always meant, always from the beginning, not just to be a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. It is not just a physical removal of a portion of your body. It is a spiritual removal of the old tendencies of sin. That's why the Old Testament so often speaks of the true circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. Now, through our baptism in Christ, a similar thing happens. We use water to symbolize the washing away of sin, but we don't stop there. We don't say, that's it, you're done. We say, embrace your baptism from the heart. You must be baptized of the heart. Your past allegiances, your old self, the philosophies that used to rule your decisions, your previous sinful desires, like a reptile that sheds its old skin, you took that off when you were rooted in Christ. And now your new self is being built up into your new self, into Christ into your baptism, into what it means to receive Christ and walk in him. It's a decisive thing. You were like that. Now you're not there yet, but you are being built 
up, you are being conformed to the image of Christ. Think of firefighters or lawyers or doctors. They all go through not just training, but at the end, there's some sort of official ceremony, right? To signify that they're in, they've made it. You are now a lawyer. You are now a firefighter. You are now an MD. But that's not the end. Of course, it's not the end. They then need to embrace that oath, that promise that they made from the heart by living it out. We wouldn't look at a doctor that intentionally kills people instead of saving them and say, well, it says MD. It says MD. He he took the Hippocratic Oath. He must be. No, that's not a doctor. That's a killer. We wouldn't look at a lawyer who lies and intentionally loses cases for their client and say, he signs his name Esquire. Guess he's still a lawyer. That's nonsense. You have to not just take an oath. You have to not just have something attached to your name. You have to live it out. So their oath is a sign. But is it just a sign? That's the question. Is baptism just a sign? Just something we do? Just a symbol? No. Their oath, the oath that doctors take, that lawyers take, even that firefighters take, is a reminder of why they became what they became in the first place. It strengthens them when they are weak. It guides them when they are confused or facing difficult situations. And our baptism serves a similar but better purpose. It strengthens us when we are weak. It guides us when we are confused. But more than that, more than those human oaths and traditions and commitments, it reminds us not just of what we need to do, but what has been done for us already. That is why Paul writes in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You tell me, does Paul think baptism is just a metaphor? That it really doesn't do anything, it's just a symbol. I don't think so. I, I, I can't read this and come away with that conclusion. Your old self and its, and its tendencies have already been killed. You are already rooted in Christ. Even as we continue to be built up in Christ. But as you are being built up, you have to know that your old self wasn't just killed. Paul says, it was buried in the ground. And by the same power that literally raised Jesus from the dead, you were spiritually raised from the dead to be something new. Not just a little better. Not just what you were already doing with a multivitamin that we call Jesus. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You've heard this often in our assurance of pardon. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is rooted in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, well, he's just speaking in metaphor. No, the old has passed away. The old is dead. Behold, the new has come. It's here. You are new. Are you fully new? Are you perfect? Not yet. Not till Christ comes again. But you are new. And your baptism is not just a symbol 
of how that happens. It is a reminder. It is not just the sign. It is a seal. It actually does something and it enables you to walk in Christ, even as you received him. There are other philosophies that you're going to hear that are very different than what you've just heard. You're going to hear things like people never truly change. Well, that's just the way I am. Once an addict, always an addict. Once a jerk, always a jerk. Once lazy, always lazy. Paul says, nonsense. In Christ, that is not true. Child of God, your old self was buried with Christ. It's dead. And what rose again is a new creation that is no longer a slave to those old desires, to those former sins, but is being built up to be more and more like Christ. Amen? Will you struggle? Yes. Will it be difficult? Yes. But if you are a child of God, Jesus Christ, the preeminent one, says, you are mine. You are mine. And you are being built up in me. So as you walk in Christ, rejoice that you don't walk in your own power. Praise God. Abound in thanksgiving over that fact. Give thanks that it is not up to you to put off your old sin and hold fast to the good news that we walk in his baptism and are being built up in him. And now finally, we've seen how we walk in Jesus' fullness. We are satisfied in him, rooted in him. We need nothing else. We've seen how we walk in his baptism by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Our old self is dead and we are now being built up new in Christ. But all of this is only possible because of his victory. So let's look finally at how we walk in his victory. This last phrase of verse 7, we see rooted up, we've seen, we've seen rooted, built up, and now established in the faith. This is a, a legal term from the courtroom. It means to guarantee, to confirm. In the way that you uh, guarantee something when you write or sign a contract. But as with the other two previous words, it's passive. You don't guarantee it yourself. You don't root yourself. You don't build yourself up. You are rooted. You are built up. You are established in the faith. You're not doing the guaranteeing. God himself will establish you in the faith. How can Jesus guarantee how can Jesus guarantee that once he saved us, we will not be confused and taken captive by another philosophy? Because in his death and his resurrection, Jesus won a decisive victory. In this passage, Paul outlines two barriers, not the only two, not maybe even the main two, but two barriers to walking in Christ. And then he shows us how Jesus enables us to walk in him despite those barriers. Here's the first one. Verse 13, and you, what are you like? What were you like? You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's you. That's what you were like. How does Jesus overcome this barrier? God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I thought about whether or not to include this next part, but 
I think I kind of have to. I have to geek out just a little bit. There's like five of you that are going to enjoy this, but for the rest of you, just hang on. Okay, Paul talks about a record of debt, and we sort of know what that means, but we also don't. And so I want you to hear this like the Colossians would have heard it, okay? This record of debt was like an IOU, but like a lot worse. Uh, When criminals were sentenced, just like we do today, we read aloud their crimes, right? You, You are being charged, you are accused with bada bing, bada boom. When criminals were crucified, this record of debt was not just read aloud, it was actually attached to their cross. So everyone walking by could see this person is being crucified, tortured, beaten, killed for this, this, and this, and this. So you better not do the same unless you want to end up like them. But the beauty of the gospel And I hope this helps you to see the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that the record of debt doesn't hang over you. If you are a child of God, the record of debt does not hang on your cross. But as Paul writes in verse 14, this he set aside, this record of debt he set aside, nailing it to the cross, his cross. That's why we just sang these wonderful words that are going to be on your slides in the slides in a moment. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame. But to remedy that, we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes upon the cross and we run to him who showed great love. Christ has already paid the price for your sins. So when the devil tries to hang your sins over your head, when your own heart can't grasp forgiveness and tells you that your sins are too great, you fix your eyes upon the cross. The debt has been paid. If we're eating in a restaurant and because I'm so generous, I pay the bill, the waiter, the waitress cannot come by and then ask you to pay the same bill. Why? It's been paid. It's done for. That would be double jeopardy. The beauty of the gospel. When you read the canceling of debt, don't think for a moment that God just said, I'll let this one pass by. It's no big deal. It's just a little whoopsie-daisy. No, the full price has been paid. The wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. You now have victory over your record of debt. Amen? That's the first barrier. The second one is going to go by much more quickly. This is the rulers and authorities that Paul speaks of. These rulers and authorities seek to deceive us and confuse us. And to be clear, Paul is not speaking of those uh, of humans who are in government. Paul is not speaking of uh, the people on social media who write mean comments or are in charge of major corporations. Those are not rulers and authorities that Paul is speaking of. Paul is speaking of spiritual rulers and authorities, demons, demonic powers. And though Satan prowls around like a lion seeking who he may devour, that is true. It is also true at the same time that he has been bound, that he has already been defeated. That's why Paul says so confidently and without qualification in verse 15 that Jesus Christ with his victory on the cross disarmed 
the rulers and authorities. They prowl around. He's a, he's a roaring lion. His teeth aren't so sharp anymore. He's been declawed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. We fix our eyes upon the cross because he paid the, cro- the price for our sins and he canceled our debt. But we also look to the empty cross because he suffered and he even died. He took on the worst that sin and Satan could throw at him and he still rose from the dead. So as we sang earlier and as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, we can say confidently, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory over our, uh, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can sing, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Christian, if you want to land a decisive victory, if you really want to show someone who's boss, you don't sneak up on them and sucker punch them, right? You stand up face to face and you say, give me everything you got. If you, really, if you really want to be the strongest, you don't go up to Bruce Banner and challenge him to wrestling. You, you wait till he turns into the Hulk, right? And then you say, come at me with everything you have. And if you can survive that, you've put him to shame. You are truly the strongest Avenger. That's similar to what Jesus did. Jesus didn't sneak in in the middle of the night and pay for our sins and not tell anybody and then sneak back into heaven. He took on body. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He performed miracles. He taught the gospel. He lived out the gospel. He died. He suffered. He was buried. He let them put a a giant stone in in front of the grave equipped with a Roman guard. He took the best shot that the rulers and authorities could throw at him. And he put them to open shame. Because three days later, he rose from the grave. So in Christ, believers, never allow yourself to think that it is impossible for you to overcome your addiction. Whether it be lying, shopping, video games, Gossip, drugs, alcohol, lust, whatever it is. Whatever, whatever sin has a grasp on your heart or is attempting to have a grasp on your heart, do not be confused if you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, you have, you have victory over that sin in Jesus Christ. You have been baptized. You, you, your old self is dead. It's buried six feet under. You are now new and you are being built up in Christ. You are fully satisfied in him. You don't need that anymore. Remind yourself that rooted in him, you walk in his fullness. As we are about to sing, Christ, the fullness of God in helpless babe. Remind yourself that you are being built up and walk in his baptism as we are about to sing. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And finally, remind yourself that you are being established in the faith as you walk in his victory. Up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on 
me. His victory has an effect on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Amen. So as the musicians come forward, let me remind you of the central verse in this whole book of Colossians. As you received Christ in this teaching, so walk in him and so let us pray in his name. Join me as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel. Thank you that we have received Christ and we are enabled to walk in him. Give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the energy to do that, Lord. But always, always, always remind us of how you enable us to do that. May we never think it is up to us. May we never be discouraged because sin is too great for us or our temptations are too great. But remind us that we walk in a Christ who is over confusion, over powers. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.